Welcome to the Wanderers History Podcast and to a new episode looking at documents written in the 16th century by navigators, travelers, merchants, etc. in the Mediterranean, more specifically accounts from Excepta Cipria, Materials for History of Cyprus, written by travelers who were in Venetian Cyprus throughout its history. Not just Venetian Cyprus between, say, 1489 and 1571, but throughout all of its history, but we focus in this mini-series on uh, Venetian Cyprus in the 16th century. Today we look at a very interesting document, a letter from one Elias of Pesaro, dated at Famagusta, October 18th, 1563. It was written to his brother or a friend in Italy. The writer was proposing to emigrate with his wife and family to the Holy Lands, but news of a plague in Syria made them remain in Cyprus for the time being. It's a very interesting document full with information about Famagusta Nicosia, but most other villages and settlements in Venetian Cyprus. But it also shows a lot of elements relating to the socioeconomic, to religious aspects and elements as well. And all in all, it's a fascinating bit of information which was picked up by Cobham and put in his Excerpta Cipria. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you to please hit that subscribe button. It really does help the channel a lot. So let us thank you for that and let us continue. Elias begins the letter by saying, quote, Famagusta is situated on the seashore. Its area is quite flat. It is a fortified town, girt with a double wall, commanded by a fine, large and solid castle. It is like Pesaro. The government always keeps here five empty galleys to watch and guard the sea, as well as four captains living in the town who have 800 Italian mercenaries under their orders. The townsfolk, who are thus exempt from all military service, are very well behaved and clean, careful to protect themselves from contagion, especially from the plague, which is common enough in the neighboring parts of the Levant. Their precautions are very thorough, as in Italy, and no person arriving from an infected or suspected locality can enter the town before he has been detained 40 days in the harbor. The houses are fine and well built, the roads well kept up. The products and merchandise of the country are sold in two places arranged as markets. Before the royal palace is a large and very pretty square, and at all the street corners are fountains of running water. The money current here is in all respects that of Venice. A scudo is worth 10 soldi, a sequin 8 livre, a scudo other than Venetian 6 livre and 8 soldi. People say that snow has never fallen here and that there has never been frost. The amount of rain even is very small. On the other hand, the heat is much greater here than in all the Turkish provinces. In summer, no one leaves his house except for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And the summer lasts eight months. To go from one place to another, one travels on horseback by night. Such is the custom of persons who wish to preserve their health. For the transport of goods and money, they use great carts drawn by oxen. But the carts are not like ours. No more are the oxen which are spotted and of many colors. One would think that the patriarch Jacob had fed his herds here. One finds plenty of animals to ride, horses and donkeys. You hire a good horse for four livre a day, 
forage is cheap. End of quote. Then he goes on to say about what housing was in that part of Cyprus, saying, quote, House rent is about the same as in Italy. I have hired a house composed of two large and handsome rooms upstairs with a kitchen besides a room below, which makes a good kind of store for wine, oil and wood and a poultry yard, the whole for 10 ducats a year. No one can go fetch water for himself from the fountain for the Greeks and crew of the galleys would at once break his pitcher but the water carriers are constantly coming and going and bring a barrel to the house for two quattrini quite enough for one's day drinking and cooking end of quote then Eliza Pissarro goes on to say the and talk about the tensions between the Greek Orthodox and the Latin Catholics, but also he mentions tensions re revolving around the uh, quite considerable Jewish presence within Cyprus. Elias goes on to say, quote, I propose now to set forth in detail the advantages and inconveniences of this country, such I have seen them with my own eyes. The Christians who live in Cyprus, Candia, Corfu, Zante, or Constantinople are mostly Greeks and are in no wise like Italians. Their intelligence is less developed, their manners are peculiar and differ from those of all of their fellow Christians. They do not follow the religious laws and ordinances of Roman Christendom and are not in accord with the Latin races. They have a patriarch at Constantinople who rules them and to him they go for guidance. Their churches have no bells and in many other of their customs they differ from the Italians. From it, For instance, on feast days some shops remain open, some are closed, some keep the feast, others work. The Greeks eat meat on the other days of the week as well as Sunday. They keep a Lent three times a year, abstaining from all animal products, even from fish and eggs. Their popes marry once, but if that wife dies, they do not take a second. End of quote for now. Then he tends to go on a rant and you can clearly see a bias from Elias of Pissarro, an, an Italian who clearly has no time and uh, basically just slanders all Greek Orthodox people purely on the basis of a religion and then be wealth accumulation. Then he goes on to say about tensions between the Jewish community and the Greek uh, orthodox christians of course that would be something not if he would come from uh, for instance venice it would be quite a different situation say the venetians and the jews in in near padova or the venetian lagoon to what was happening between the greek orthodox christians and the jews of cyprus Elias of Pissarro moves on and starts to talk about the valuable merchandise that Cyprus was able to provide. He goes on to say, quote, The salt here is wonderfully fine and you can get a measure of two pounds for five Venetian quattrini. I have never seen so good bread as that of Famagusta, but it is dear. Wheat sells by the Bolognese basket, four livres, four soldi Bolognese. The olive oil is very bad. One cannot use it in cooking and in lamps it gives off a detestable smell. The pound of 12 ounces cost 8 quattrini. Most people use oil of sesame for 
basting and cooking. It is good and costs two quattrini the ounce, but the smell is too strong to eat it raw. Olives are for eating are as big here as walnuts and are cheap at 15 quattrini for 10 pounds but they never ripen thoroughly. There are pomegranates in great quantity, some sweet, some sour, others middling. They are large, they are large and have thick uh, pips as good to look at as to eat. The largest cost a quattrino and it seems they'll keep a whole year. When I arrived here, their vintage was nearly over for they gathered their grapes in August and all their fruits ripen a month earlier than in Italy. The time of peaches too was past. I have found no eatable grapes except such as the vine growers bring now and then from the hills, white and black, but they will not keep more than three or four days. I asked also about the price of wine and was told that this year it was selling at 3 livres 14 soldi of Bolognese money, the large Bolognese measure. It is very strong and must be diluted with two-thirds of water. I have bought a cartload and a half of wood for 11 silver marcelli. Onions and leeks are finer than in Italy but cost twice as much. Cabbages and cauliflowers are found in abundance for a quattrino. One can get almost than one can carry. Also green stuff of every kind, beetroot, spinach, carrots, mint, marjoram, parsley, rue and other herbs is plentiful and cheap. And pulse of all kinds, peas, lentils, white kidney beans, not red, uh, beans, rice, millet and the like, not dear. More, daily, morning and evening, one can buy fish as cheaply as in Italy. End of quote. In essence, Elisa Pissarro goes on to say uh, and talk about other prices such as the ones of animals, cattle, sheep, that, that sort of uh, stuff. And he makes a comparison of costs from his native Italy to Cyprus, some things being more expensive, some cheaper, some quite the same. It is quite interesting how he notices, uh, he can notice a lot about a country such as Cyprus um, in what was rather a, f a fortunate accident on his part because he had to remain there for a while. He goes on to say, in the conclusion of the letter, quote, so much for a rapid sketch of the life, manners, and customs of this town, written at Famagusta, Monday, 18th of October, end of quote. It is a guide to living in Famagusta, which at the time would have been a very good area in Cyprus to live in, as we will see contrast in the next episodes and documents, the contrast between Famagusta and Nicosia, but also other parts of the country. It is, it's a very interesting document. It's, I would say, one of my favorites, say a top 20 from Excepta Cipria. Um, and it gives a very vivid image tableau of what it would have been like to live in Famagusta in 1563. It was already entering the last, uh, not even 10 years of Venetian rule. Famagusta, of course, more in touch and more connected to the Venetian 
Republican Terra Ferma de Nicosia was. We'll talk more about their accounts in the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wanderers History Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a like if you enjoyed the episode. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And until the next time, all the best.